Good morning. I'm David Parks, one of the elders here, and I have the privilege of uh, reading the scripture that's the foundation for today's sermon. If you don't have your Bible with you, it is the blue Bible in the seat in front of you. We're reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and in the book under the chair, it's page 1001. Give you a second to look that up, and if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord. Hebrews 1, and we're reading 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by, the, by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Please have a seat. I wonder when you get a new book, do you like to read the introduction or the preface? Some of you are saying... Who reads books anymore? I mean, I can barely make it through a blog post. But, you know, books in the library that you might check out. Or do you just, like, skip all that? I like to just get to chapter one, get moving. I think the, the introduction is helpful. I'm more of a chapter one person myself because I'm not a great reader. But when you get to the introduction of the preface, it's helpful because he tells you or she tells you something about why they wrote the book, some insight to themselves that might help you know something about why they wrote this book, what was the occasion of the book, and they might even offer like an outline. Hey, if you're going to read this book, read it in this way. And so I hope your introduction people today, because today is an introduction to a book, the book of Hebrews. And the whole sermon here is a little bit different because we're starting this big book and I think it's helpful to just have an, an introductory sermon to set the table, let's say, for the main course. And you'll find out quickly the main course is Jesus all the way through the book. So we're going to spend really most of this year in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so I'm excited about that because I think with all the things that are happening in our world and also happening in our Christ Community Church world, It'll be good every Sunday for us to come back and just say, Jesus is better. No matter where you are, whatever frustrations, fears, concerns you have, Jesus, Jesus is better. So we're setting the course this morning, and we're setting the course for Jesus. There's, four point, there's a four-point introduction, so if you're a nerdy note-taker like me in a sermon, it'll be helpful just to know there's four points. The first point is we don't know the author but we do know the audience. We don't know the author, but we do know the audience. There's a lot of speculation as to who the author is. Lots of people think it's the Apostle Paul or maybe Apollos or Barnabas, some other name, but nobody knows. But we do know for sure the audience because the audience is the title. It's a book to the Hebrew people. The, Hebrew word, the word Hebrew first occurred in Genesis 14 where Abraham, Abraham was called Abraham the Hebrew. That's the first time we see it. 
So the Hebrew people are the Hebrew people connected to the patriarch Abraham. So they're Jewish people, they're Israelites, they're Hebrews. And interestingly, I found out this week, the word Hebrew means one who crossed over or one who passed through. I found that very interesting. If you're a Hebrew, your name means I've crossed over, I've passed through. Now just think with me for a second how that name connects to their personal experience. Abraham was called out of Mesopotamia. And if you're ever on Jeopardy, uh, Mesopotamia means the land of between the rivers. And so he had to cross over the Euphrates to get to Canaan. We all know that the Hebrews that are enslaved in Egypt had to pass through the Red Sea. We all know that after 40 years in the wilderness, they had to cross over the River Jordan. So do you see how their name says something about their history? It's very fascinating how God puts these things together. And Joshua, in chapter 24, the very end of his book, he says this, and, and it's somewhat familiar at the end, but it's interesting how he takes their history and puts it all together in this one final speech. Let me read part of it to you. Long ago, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him over into Canaan. He's just saying, this is your identity, your people who have crossed over. Then I sent Moses and brought your people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time before you crossed over the Jordan and came into the promised land. So he's just giving this historical backdrop, and then he's, he's passing off the scene, so he gives this charge. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river. See, you've crossed over. The things that you used to live for, the, the loves that you used to have, the laws that you used to live by, you, you, you're leaving them on that side, and you're a people who have crossed over. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, but so then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. You, you feel that? He's talking about people who have crossed over. People who lived one kind of life, uh, served one kind of God, and he's saying, hey, let's not go back. Let's, let's be people who've crossed over and said, but as for us, my house, my being, my household, we're going to serve the Lord. We've crossed over. We're, we're those kind of people. You, you get the echo of like a watery baptism. You cross through this water and you come out on the other side as a new creation. That's, that's part of the Christian baptism symbolism. You, you're, you're, you're coming out of the water and now you're saying, I'm following a different person. I'm going to live a different life. So we don't know who the author is, but we do know the audience. And the Hebrew people are, are just like us. We're people who have crossed over. We're people who have said, hey, I used to live one way, and now something happened, something changed. Jesus came into my life, and I, I let go of some things. I left some things on the riverbank. And I've crossed over. So we're going to hold on to that image because we're going to come back to it. Point number two 
because the author is writing to the descendants of Abraham, he assumes that the reader has a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. These are Hebrew people. These are Hebrew people who they are people of the book. And specifically, he assumes the reader knows everything about Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And if you're Jewish, you call that the Torah or the teaching. So he's just assuming, hey, if you're picking up this book, you already know a lot about what I'm going to say because I'm going to use a lot of Old Testament illustration. And of course, that creates a pretty big problem for most of us, does it not? We don't have a thorough knowledge. Most of us don't have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. We have more like a, a Swiss cheese knowledge. You know, we know some different pieces. I could tell you something maybe about Moses or Noah or David, but it, there's a lot of holes in my knowledge. And so what happens when you have holes in your knowledge and somebody starts talking about it there's some big blanks and you just can't quite pick it up. So Hebrews can be a challenging book to read. Here's what one commentator said, and I tried to be encouraged by this. When we come to read Hebrews, we come to read what is for most people today, the most difficult book in the whole Bible. Ooh. And you're immediately saying, we're going to do this for a whole year. I mean, entering into the author's conversation with his original audience, is like entering into a conversation in a foreign language which you have only partial knowledge of. It's just hard to keep up with. You ever entered into a conversation with two people who are nerding out on some kind of topic and you only know like a little bit of it? My, my wife and my daughter, they're nerding out on the Gilmore Girls. Lorelai something, I don't know. I mean... I don't know. I just can't, like, I can't, they're, they're, they don't know all the little things. I don't know. What about Grand Theft Auto for some of you guys? Oh, you know all about it, but you just can't enter in, or technology, or Taylor Swift. Any Swifties here? But you, you, get, you come into a conversation, hey, what are you talking about? You go, I just, just I don't know enough. I'm not going to be able to have a lot of conversation and when you come to Hebrews, it's like two people nerding out on seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. But I want you to know, this is fascinating, unlike some of the other topics I just mentioned. And I want you to be able to nerd out with me. But I, I want to tell you how we're going to go through it, because there's a denseness to the book, but there's a delight. And I want it to be a delightful journey for you. First, when we go through the book, you'll just see every week I'm just going to be highlighting Jesus. I'm just going to be taking basically like an Old Testament spotlight and saying, hey, this Old Testament thing, saying, psalm, person, event, it points to Jesus. So you're going to learn a lot in your Swiss cheese knowledge of the Old Testament to say, oh, I didn't realize that was a shadow of the real tree Jesus. Secondly, I'm going to frequently have to pause and explain what, what, how, how we got from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So again, it's going to be a great, great time to learn. And third, if you're right brain, you know this, right brain, left brain? Left brain sort of analytical people, right brain artistic people. This is a kind of a left brain book. 
So it's, it draws lines. Hey, let's tr- trace a line from here to Jesus. But if you're right brain and you learn really better through stories than information, then Matt, our associate pastor, is going to come up every couple of three weeks and go through Hebrews 11 with us. Now, if you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Sort of a play on words from the Hall of Fame. And it's just a bunch of stories about people in the Old Testament. And he's just going to pick them off and say, hey, this person was a great example of faith. So in case you lost Paul nerding out in some way, let's just talk about a person. And let's just watch how they're faithful and we'll make connections that way. So we're going to try to appeal to the left brain people and the right brain people at the same time. So I, I want you to, to lean in. Uh, some of you really loved the sermon series on the book of Ruth. And that was a lean back. Because it's a story. You kind of just get captured by it. It carries you along. So I'm going to need you to lean in on Hebrews, but I want to make this promise. It's really, really worth it. Really worth it. Number three in our outline, four-point outline, the theme of the book is Jesus is better. That's why the title of the series is that. Thirteen times in the book of Hebrews, this phrase, Jesus is better or Jesus is superior, is used. And they serve as like markers along the road. We're talking about something Let's remember Jesus is better. Then we talk for a couple of chapters. Let's remember Jesus is better. It just goes along the path that way. And so as he takes us through this tour of the Torah, we see immediately just in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is better than angels. As we keep reading, you find out Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is better than the Old old Covenant. Jesus is better than the sacrifice. Jesus is better than everything. He's the real thing. All the Old Testament are shadows, but once we've reached Jesus, we're holding on to him and we're letting go of these Old Testament shadows. Now, my question here, thinking of Jesus is better, is why at this point did the author feel like it was necessary to make that a big point? He's written an entire book, a very dense book, to help Hebrew people understand that Jesus is better. So why? What, 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 was, what was the introduction to his purpose of writing the book? And this is really the sad part. The reason the author needed to emphasize Jesus is better is because the people who had crossed over from the Old Testament ways to Jesus wanted to go back they'd been over here they'd heard all the stories they could now sort of make a connection oh i see that abraham was really sort of pointing us to jesus and so was moses and and so was david and all the prophets and when i read isaiah now i see he's really talking about jesus i've i've crossed over and i'm 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 full-on jesus But somewhere along the Jesus journey, they go, I'd like to go back. I wonder if that might describe any of you here. 
you crossed over, but something, I don't time happened, life happened, heart difficulty happened, and now you go, you know what? It was easier. Maybe I'll just go back. And so the, the Hebrew writer has this very passionate heart for his people, like a pastoral heart, and he's just pleading with them over and over again, don't go back. Like, I know that looks bright and shiny. I know that looks like the answer. I, I know it's just on the other side of that river. I know you've got friends and family over there. Don't go back. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. You feel that? I heard something. I believed it. I had some energy for it. But something happened, and I just, I just started drifting back across the river. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You were so close to him, but you're falling away. So we've got to exhort one another. That's his whole purpose every day so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I left that sinful life, and I'm over here following God, but I start drifting, and then I look back at that sinful life, and I think, hey, that looks pretty good. And I just... I feel like maybe just drifting back for a few moments and being over here. Don't, don't drift back. Chapter 5 and chapter 13, don't, don't stay immature. He calls the, the readers infants. I mean, you got across, but you never grew. You're stunted in some way, and what's happened is that you're easily led astray by strange teachings. Don't, don't let that happen. Chapter 10, verse 32. Remember when you endured hardship and suffering? So they, they moved into the Christian camp. They endured hardship and suffering, but now it's ramping up. Don't throw away your confidence now. I mean, you, you have endured some things, and I know it's getting more difficult to stay as a Christian in the culture, but man, don't drift back now. Finally, chapter 12, verse 15. Again, these are just markers along the path. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. I love that uh, song we sang at the offering grace. See, these people were Jewish people. They were law people. What's so easy for them is just to go back to the law. This is right. This is wrong. This is how you know you're right and wrong. And by golly, if you live this way, you're right. You live this way, you're wrong. There's, there's a sort of comfort in that, is there not? And he's saying, don't miss grace. The law helps you understand that you can't keep the law. That's the whole purpose of the law, not to drift back into it. And so often people want to drift back into some kind of law keeping or legalism and so every so often he comes back jesus is better jesus is better this pastor whoever the writer is has this beating heart for his people and i just want to mention here in closing what are, what are some of the causes that create could create a desire to go back 
Well, just in the text, persecution. If you want to, you just turn with me to chapter 11 in Hebrews. This is what's called the Hall of Faith. Again, just names. 11.33. This phrase repeats, by faith, by faith. By faith, some in verse 33, conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, when you read that, you're like, sign me up today. Do you not? <laughs> like, I'm all for I'm so glad I'm on this side. That's exactly what I'd like to do. I'd like to be a part of that. Verse 37, some were stoned. Some were sawn in two. Some were killed with a sword. Uh, I might want to drift back. You feel that tension? You feel it in the culture, don't you? Could be in your home, could be in your office. It's just easier to live over here on this side of the world. I mean, nobody's going to say too much about it. You're not going to stand out. You just move along. It's getting harder to stay on this side because of persecution. Secondly, the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's like the, the baited hook. It's dangling over here on the other side of the river. Just saying, come back, Paul. And man, when you get that baited hook, you get a treat. Do you not? But man, it comes with a sharp hook. And it just drags you back across. But don't, don't be deceived. Third, an, an immaturity. They just didn't really, some of them just didn't really grow in their faith. So they... They didn't pay close attention to God's word, and it's so easy to be led astray in those places, and sometimes easy to fall back into some form of legalism. Now, we're not Hebrew people, so it's unlikely we would fall back into, you know, the Old Testament laws or the sacrifices or trying to do something with the temple, but there's different ways we drift back to legalism, and legalism is something where you elevate something close to Jesus as a like a necessary part you've ever been in these conversations I, I call it Jesus and well of course you need Jesus and and there's something and I, ne I never say it's Jesus but it, it, when you're around him it feels like you you got to be this way Jesus and you got to vote a certain way Now, do I think some candidates are better than others? Or sometimes no candidates are good? Yes. But there are times when your vote can just get elevated. It's just a tendency of the human heart to say, well, I'm a Christian, but really to be in this, really in the circle, you've got to vote this way. We had a friend come and preach to us one time here at Christ Community. And afterwards, a member came up to me and said, I don't think he should be invited back. I thought he did a good job, so I asked why. I'm not sure he voted the right way in the last election. Oh. Now, look, it's okay to have an opinion about that. But do, do you feel how that feels elevated? 
I was real sure not to tell him of my voting history because I thought, man, he's going to move me out of the pulpit. But you see, it just happens. It, you it, you kind of just drift into it. You kind of get into a certain crowd, and there's something that just moves up. And the, the author wants to say, hey, Jesus is better. Let's, the other things matter. We're not trying to take that away. We're just saying we're not going to try to elevate anything into that circle. Yes to Jesus and, well, John Calvin. And really, if you've read your Bible, you're a five-pointer. Now, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's okay. But some of you understand there, there's the, somebody comes in to sort of reform theology and they get so excited about it. And what happens is it just it starts to edge up. And it just, just makes me feel a little uncomfortable that reform theology at its core, core is about grace. That's the core thing. But you run into these people and they call them, they call themselves this, so I'm not saying anything disparaging, cage staged Calvinists. That's what you come into it and you say, you belong in a cage for a little while to settle down before you get out. But what happens is it just comes up and these people who want to talk to you about grace don't feel like they have any grace at all. That's, that's a legalism. Jesus and how to educate your children. See, I'm trying to step on every toe here today. <laughs> Again, is it okay to think one system of education is better for your child than another? Sure, you're going to. That you should, as a parent, try to make these decisions. But not all the time. It becomes like a test. Just it gets elevated. And I, I feel for parents of young children and maybe especially moms, because even in Christian circles, there's a lot of pressure on moms to get it just the right way. And if you don't do it quite the right way, well then, you're not quite in the circle. And of course, they don't say that, but you, you feel that, and it feels like something's getting elevated into the wrong circle, and the author wants to come in and say, Jesus is better. One more example, just to make sure I've covered everybody. Jesus and you need a second baptism. You need to display the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't recall talking to this guy who I, I liked him. Not that that matters in part of this discussion, but and he was a genuine believer. But I got around him, and I just always left feeling like I was on the JV squad. Like, I'm never going to get into the Hall of Faith. I mean, that you're, not, you're on the JV. It's because you you're not manifesting something, some obvious gift. And what it felt like is the gift got into the same circle as the giver. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, well, you got the Jesus part, right? But you need to get this gift in here. And the way you get the gift is you get this second baptism, and he was just bewildered that I didn't have that, and he was kind about it, but when I left, I thought, I'm just, I'm on the JV squad. What the author wants to say, after trying to step on everyone's toes, is Jesus is better. Yes, these things matter. Yes, you're going to have to make a decision. Yes, you can feel passionately about them, but let's not get those things into the circle of Jesus. 
the, the Pharisee, this is my last point here there on this, is you can always tell if you're, you've got a little bit of a legalistic heart, and I think all of us have a little legal heart in some way. By remembering the phrase the Pharisee said in the temple, remember when he was praying and the tax collector was in the back, and what did he say? God, I'm so glad I'm not like these other people. See, if that's in your heart on anything, that's, that's that little legalist trying to come in. I'm imploring you, don't let that come in. That's going back to the other side. Don't be caught up in the deceitfulness of sins. Mature. Don't, don't go back that way. And so I wonder just this morning, anyone drifting away? Anyone suffering? Physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally? And you're just feeling like it's just easier to go back. Anybody here taking the baited hook of sin? And, and you can just feel it. You're being reeled back across to the other side of the river. I want you to know that Hebrews is a gift. It's going to be a gift to you for a whole year of just being reminded that Jesus is better. Now, that sermon was a, a, a big left-brain sermon. <clears throat> and so I like to try to appeal to the left and the right brain. So if you're a left-brain person, this might not be appealing to you. But I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying try to lean in and enjoy. But there's a black preacher who says things about Jesus. And if I tried to say it, it wouldn't sound right. His name is S.M. Lockridge. He's a pastor of a Baptist church. S.M. is Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. And what a name to live up to. And he goes on for a long time. I just have this three-minute clip. And he says it just right, especially for the right brain people, to remind us that G Jesus is better. And then we'll take communion together. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. 
He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king. Don't go to the other side. Just don't drift back. Don't, don't move in a direction that you know. This is, you know it. You feel it. This is the side you want to be on. It, but it's going to be hard at times. So we're going to have the joy of every week just coming back to Hebrews and trying to say something like this. Maybe not in quite this way. To say, hey, Jesus is better. So it's a perfect day to end on communion. Just to remind yourself as a Christian, I'm, com I'm coming forward. I, I feel the pull, Paul, at the other side of the river, and this is just a way of recommitting yourself to, I'm going to stay on this side.